As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And welcome back to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our twice weekly Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic, presented by BetMGM. I am Max Boltman. With me, as always, is Prashant Iyer. And it's finally that wonderful time of the offseason where I am not on pins and needles waiting for news. Uh, I can just kind of kick back and enjoy the playoffs. Prashant, what have you thought so far of uh, of all the action in the NHL postseason? Well, uh, I certainly can't get enough of overtime, I guess. And I mean, <laughs> it seems well, like... They're good, because they're not going to stop giving it to <laughs> you. Apparently, we're just going to play every game, and every game's going to go to overtime. You know, it's it's almost like the teams feel... Like, you just get the sense, like, midway through the second period that, okay, yeah, this this game is literally getting buttoned up, and they're they're finding a way to go to overtime, and it's... It just ends up being ridiculous. I mean, back-to-back games for the Canes going to double overtime and losing both of those um, to now pull that series tied 2-2. I mean, Tampa and Florida have just been electric to watch. It's just, it's been a lot of fun because, I mean, you know, everyone around this time of year always pulls out that uh, that tweet says, you know, what, you know, why watch playoff hockey when I could snort cocaine while riding a motorcycle jumping <laughs> off of a helicopter? It's like... It's it's literally that, and now it's just going to be every single hockey game. So, uh, it's it's what what's what's not to like, I guess. Uh, as a Carolina resident, are you having any uh, thoughts that, that the Canes could be in trouble here? No, I mean I told you, and uh, I I picked the Canes in six. Uh, I told you that when we were doing our playoff preview show, I picked the sweep. So I'm a little right, right, and you know, I told you that I said enough, uh, Mr. Krabs meme, right? Right, now. I said people were disrespecting Nashville. They won 20 of their final 28 games. They were a reasonably good hockey team. But this series sort of reminds me of the Wings series back in 07-08 when, sure enough, when the Wings played the Predators in the first round of that season, or of that playoff run, it was 2-2 after four games. And there were a lot of question marks for Detroit. I mean, Dominic Koshik had, had started four games. He got pulled in game four. Chris Osgood came in for him. And it was, okay, all of a sudden there's a goalie controversy for Detroit. It's, 
who's going to score for them. You know, Datsuk hadn't really gotten himself on the board. Franzen had sort of cooled off after he had had his ridiculous march. And that game five goes to overtime. And sure enough, Franzen scores the game winning over uh, goal in overtime there to uh, get the wings of that game. And they ultimately take game game six and a three nothing shutout. But it was a similarly tight series, despite them vastly outplaying Nashville. And I think it's the same thing here for Carolina. It's I know it's very hard for Canes fans to relax because, you you know, you don't have a recent Stanley Cup to fall back on. And, uh, you know, things have not gone your way. But I, I think it's all going to pan out. What I've been interested in is, uh, you know, Carolina's been good. Again, I, I think they could have easily already ended the series and, and pulled off the sweep. I mean, it, it very well could have happened. But I think... Uh, right now, like the, the light on Alex Nedeljkovic is going to get really bright. I think he's been really good. I mean, even, even the other day they, they lose, they, he gives up what four goals in that game. He saves, I don't know what it was, probably 40 shots as well. Yeah. I mean, close to it. Nedeljkovic has not been the issue, uh, for Carolina. But the light is going to be on yeah. him. Like people are going to point to him and say, you're the favorite, you know, uh, you know, uh, what's, what's the guy? Saros has been unbelievable in the other net. And so I think the people are going to start pointing the finger at Nadelkovic or at least the spotlights on him, right? I mean, you would you would have to think so. The funny part is Nadelkovic has saved more goals above, you know, expectation compared He's been really good. Yeah, yeah, he's actually got a better goal saved above expected than than UC Saros. Like his numbers are better, but he's not going to get the same recognition because Saros, you know, has has sort of been standing on his head and is a large part of the reason why why Nashville's tied 2-2 in that series, but I think it all comes crashing down. I think Nadelkovic has been great. I think he'll continue to be great. And Carolina's going to get a little bit of puck luck. I mean, you have to remember, they've played their last three games without Jacob Slavin. It's like, okay, we're going to take your best defenseman away from you, the guy who chews up 30 minutes a night, and now that means it's it's 20-plus minutes for Brady Shea. It's 30 minutes for Brett Pesci. Dougie Hamilton hasn't been his usual self in this series. So I think I think things will go back, but everyone... Everyone in Carolina is noticeably agitated about it, but I think it'll be fine. That series is still a long way to go. Two have ended. Colorado swept St. Louis. Don't think there was a ton of surprise about that one. Uh, Colorado nope. looks like they're going to uh, be a brutally tough out, and I, honestly, like they're going to win it all. I mean, they may have done themselves a disservice by ending the series too early because yeah, now you don't West. have Kadri for the entire. Well, you don't have Kadri oh, yeah. for the entire next round against Vegas, right? So you know <laughs> there were people joking like. You know, hey, has someone run, you know, the the numbers to see if Colorado, like how many games should Colorado give St. Louis so that they can get Kadri back for a certain number of games against Vegas? But, you know, truth be told, you watch the abs and you go, okay, they don't even need him. Yeah. Like it's it's just not even funny to to see how much of a buzzsaw. Uh, I think what was the stat I saw that Colorado scored five goals and none of them, none of them were from McKinnon, Rotten, McCarr. Like literally their top five scores, not a single goal from them. They're just, they're so deep. It's, it's not even fair. They're a monstrosity. Um, and then the other series that has ended, uh, Boston and Washington, that one, uh, maybe the most relevant for Red Wings fans, uh, because of the Anthony Mantha trade that, uh, Boston was very good, but I also thought Washington did not have the best of body language, especially in the back half of that series. Yeah. Washington looked lost. For a large parts of that series. Now, I will give credit that that Tuka Rask was very, very yes. good for Boston after that first game where people were calling for his head and whatnot. But re- in, in reality, I just thought Washington was very inconsistent with their effort. They did have a couple games where 
they were able to bring it, but then they had a couple of games where it was just very much duds and, and they couldn't get anything going at five on five. Um, it almost felt like the only time, only way Washington was going to threaten was on the power play with their vaunted power play. And, and even Alex Ovechkin trying to find a way to pump goals in uh, at whatever age he's at now, it still wasn't enough. And, and I think it also goes to highlight, I think how good Boston is. Um, that series very easily could have tilted the other way because those had, that series had a couple of you know overtime games that uh, kicked off everything and and you know if those both go three, Washington's three way overtime then, games yeah. yeah yeah first three games right all went to to overtime including a couple of multi OT games I mean if if those go Washington's way they get that bounce you know all of a sudden you're talking about a very different series but I thought Boston you know showed the fortitude to be able to to hold serve to be able to kind of keep bringing it. And they're, they're sort of that sleeper team. I mean, adding Taylor Hall to that second line, I mean, you're already having to deal with, you know, Bergeron, Marchand, and, and Pasternak. And now they come back with Krejci and Taylor Hall uh, on you. Yeah, I think losing uh, Andre Case will be a huge issue for them um, from some of that depth. But, I mean, shoot, if you got Craig Smith, Taylor Hall, and and uh, uh, David Krejci as your depth, I think you're still in a really good spot. Yeah, I think I like Boston against whoever comes out of that other series, Pittsburgh and the Islanders. Yeah, I mean, I, I think my final four was Colorado, Tampa, Boston, and Toronto. Yeah, and so really good. It's, I mean, those are the those picked, four teams. I picked Carolina to come out of the Central because I thought, surely, surely the Lightning must have some rust trying to transition Kutra. No, sir. It's, it's, it's like vintage Red Wings where it's like, okay, playoffs are here, flip the switch, yeah. let's go. Yeah. Like, it's... It's just like they were sort of they took their foot off the gas pedal because that's a championship team. That's a team that knows what they're doing. And and I mean, sure, it very much helps when you get the league MVP back for game one and and, and that makes things better. And then, oh, by the way, you get a former 60 goal scorer back for game one as well. Right. Uh, and you likely have the Vezina winner and you have the previous Norris Trophy winner. Like, what do you what do you want? Um, and so as good as Florida is, as much fun as Florida has been. Florida hasn't gotten the the saves necessary to stay with Tampa. And, hey, maybe Spencer Knight's enough to turn it around. But if not, I mean, I think the Lightning are another team you don't want to reckon with. And so, you know, I think that's why I had them moving on to the conference finals is I just thought they were going to have Carolina's number. It looks like a very good pick. I actually, at this point, I would love to swap my picks to your final four. And it looks like a Colorado-Tampa final, which would be – Holy cow. That would be I mean, if, if we get a Colorado Tampa final, that's what we all deserve. Yes. After yes. the last year and a half, that's what we deserve. Give me the two best teams in hockey, the most skill I can put on the ice, and let it go seven games. That's what I want. Yep. And I just think I think you would create so many hockey fans out of that series, you know, uh being able to to just show what elite skill looks like. Um, and I think that'd be a huge win for the NHL if they're able to figure out how to, you know, market some of those stars and and sort of uh, make that huge pitch right into the, the ESPN TV deal next year. There's a fun one for you. Who's Tampa's best player? I don't know. I mean, uh, the the default answer for me would have to be, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I sort of want to say it's Kucherov, but then you just watch him literally go through the whole season uh, not really missing him. I mean, granted that yes, they ended up the third seed in that barely uh, in that division, yeah. barely. Uh, but they did it by subtracting the league MVP. As good as Hedman is, I I don't think he had as good as of a season as last year, which means he just 
finishes as the runner up for the Norris instead of winning the Norris. Um, but, and then Vasilevsky's great. I didn't have him in the goalie spot on my ballot. Yeah. Oh, for, for Hedman. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I would either, but I think enough people are going to go on name recognition to, to put him there. And then obviously Braden points as good as he is. Uh, he's the engine that really, I think gets things going. I think I'd probably lean Kucherov, but I could hear an argument for point Hedman or Vasilevsky. I have, I was having this thought the other day, like it's, you know, yeah. Vasilevsky probably was, I mean, I don't know that he really closed the year great, but like, I think you could make an argument that like, he's the guy who it's like, he's the best at his position. He's the only one of these guys, and maybe Hedman, you can make the argument, the best in the league at their position. But then it's like, okay, but is there, we talk about the values of centers. Like I'm often tempted to say it's Braden Point. Like Braden Point is the guy that if you could just steal someone off this roster, I would steal Braden Point. I know there's people out there who would steal Vasilevsky. What's up, Lars? Um, But. I think I would want to steal Braden Point if I could steal anybody. And Victor and Victor had been if I yeah. could get him, you know, three years younger, but he's thirty. So I, and and that probably can't weigh in the conversation of who's their best player. But yeah, I mean, I, I think they have four players in the conversation for best player on the team. I mean, it's it's almost like when when you start talking about Colorado to a yeah. certain extent, it's like, okay, who's their best defenseman after Kale McCarr? I, it's like, yes, I don't know, I don't know. Is it Gerard? <laughs> is it Taves? Yes. I mean, is it? I mean, like, how you know. Is it Bowen Byram? Like they have so many good defensemen. It's just not fair. And then it's like, and then, oh, by the way, they also have the deepest forward group in the, in the national hockey league. So there are avalanche all over my NHL awards ballot and all-star team ballot. And I really struggled with that when it came time to rank choice, my heart ballot, because the way you do it is you submit your top five, right? And McKinnon is in my top five. I, I can't, I don't think I can specify where yet. Um, but it was really tough for me to try and decide some of this stuff because I felt like, okay, you know, Kale McCarr, Miko Rantanen, these are both players who appear somewhere on my ballot. Um, there's another one as well uh, with the Avs that I, I, I don't know. Like I, I, I voted McKinnon first for the heart last year. And I thought that was, I, I really strongly believe that I thought he was that much better than, um, anyone else on the, you know, one of the best teams in the league. And I stood by that. And I, I tend to skew toward that reasoning that you want not just the most outstanding player, but the player who is most valuable to his team. There's a player really high in my heart about this year that I don't expect that to be a consensus for, for that reason. No, I'm not in first place. I, I have McDavid. I'm not afraid to say that, <laughs> um, but right behind him, I have someone who I'm not sure like is not the number two in my all-star ballot. I'll just say. Um, which I do think is more of like a most outstanding. And so I think uh, I struggle with that with McKinnon and with every lightning player who I can, I considered multiple lightning players for um, actually, no, I, in the end, I only ended up considering one, but I didn't put him on because I was trying to decide who is the most, the best player here, who is the most valuable player here. Once you get to these super teams, it gets really, really hard. Yeah. I mean, it's not an enviable task to sort of split out, you know, how much better is this player because of the supporting cast they have around them? And, and you know, who really drives it? Is it the supporting cast and enables the player to be as great as they are? Is it the player that drags everybody else up? And that's why the supporting cast looks so much better. And it's, it's just so hard to tease out all of those components, but you're never going to be able to because all of these super teams, it's, that's exactly what it is, is like, it, it really is the best of both worlds where the, the superstar players make they're make the other players that much better. And those players being able to play at a high level and in the right role really allows the superstars to do what they can do. I mean, 
you look at a guy like Colorado that, I mean, Colorado has been able to pull guys who have been top six guys all around the league and be able to extract maximum value. I mean, you know, if you've got Andre Burakovsky, you've got Jonas Dostoyev, you've got Val Nechuskin, you've got Devin Taves, you've got guys who are, now, Colorado's got the opposite problem. They've got guys playing well below their yep. talent level. Yep. And and that's what allows Colorado to just look like a buzzsaw because, you know, it's just not fair. And it's the same thing that Carolina was doing for a while. I mean, they took a guy in Jesper Foster who's playing top six minutes in, in New York. They, he's playing bottom nine minutes. You know, Cedric Paquette at times played top six minutes in Tampa. He's playing bottom nine, you know, bottom six minutes for for Carolina. You know, Nito Niederreiter at times played fourth and third line minutes for Carolina. And he was a guy who, you know, featured in somewhat of a bigger role when he was in Minnesota. So it's just like, that's what those good teams do is they're able to take those guys who are maybe playing appropriately in the right spot and then just get them down and lower in the lineup. And all of a sudden, every line is rolling and it's just not, it's not fun to play against. Very fun to watch, though, and I am certainly enjoying watching it. Yeah, I mean, hey, sign me up for Colorado and Tampa. Like I said, it'd be a treat for us all. Uh, as it is the playoffs, not a ton on the Red Wings front <laughs> since we last spoke to you, but uh, a couple of little news items. The Red Wings signed a couple of ELCs, a couple of important ELCs, one of them Jonathan Bergeron. Um, that was one that we had kind of waited for. Not surprisingly, that comes very quickly after uh, Bergeron did not make the Swedish World Championship roster. And then uh, I don't want to call it a surprise. I think it was one that we definitely expected could be coming this summer, but it didn't have to be. There was no real time pressure for it to happen this summer. And that's Emil Vero, the 2020 third round pick defenseman out of Finland, had a really good year, really steady year uh, over there for TPS. Uh, and he signs his ELC. Bergen, I think the implication is fairly obvious. He comes over now, he competes for a spot in training camp, and most likely he starts the year in Grand Rapids. I want to know what you think uh, when it comes to Vero. What does this mean? Uh, does he? Do you expect him to come over and uh, play in GR next? He's not. He's, I don't think he's going to be ready for the NHL. Do you expect him to compete for a spot in GR, or would you think this is more like the Gustav Lindstrom, where they sign the ELC and then they're loaned back to their team uh, in or their home country to, to play another year? Yeah, I mean, it's he's a tough one because I think he sort of came out of nowhere. Uh, in the sense that I don't think I was expecting him to have as strong of a season as he did this year. Um, you know, particularly in the playoffs, I thought he was very instrumental for his team, uh, you know, being able to go as far as they did. And and I think maybe that playoff success uh, is, is part of what uh, contributed to, to the Wings wanting to be able to bring him over. But I mean, he's a very, you know, solid player all the way around. I think he should be competing for uh, a Grand Rapids spot, although... I wouldn't necessarily rule out him staying one more year in uh, Finland. I think he'd stay with TPS. Um, and I, I think that's probably the most likely plan, but I think he should absolutely be in contention, uh, you know, to compete uh, for a spot in Grand Rapids. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of look at it two ways. On one hand, he's already played a season and a half of pro hockey. And at that, that kind of would sometimes lead me to say, I mean, you could make the case that to move over and play in the AHL. I just, at this point would expect the return to TPS. Um, I think you, you're probably going to be on the slower side. It's not like they're going to be short on defensemen in Grand Rapids already next year. Although we don't yet know what Albert Johansson's situation is going to be. Um, but I, I, Seth Barton obviously signed, um, you know, he, he got into some games in GR this year. I'm trying to think there's one other prospect D there. Is there not? 
I mean, McIsaac will probably McIsaac, still be right, there, that's right? right. Yeah. So, so you know, it, it's I don't think it's super likely you're ever going to have a super duper young blue line in, in Grand Rapids all at the same time. Um, maybe if Johansson were to stay in Sweden, I could see an argument, but I don't think you're going to go more than three of your kind of prospect defensemen there at at one time. Would be my kind of gut guess, and I would guess that leaves Vero as the young guy as the one who waits a year. Yeah, I mean, it'll be. It'll be interesting to see because there are a lot of guys you would ideally like to see in, in Grand Rapids. Um, but, you know, to your point, Grand Rapids is still an organization that wants to be able to win hockey games. And it's very tough if they're becoming entirely a developmental organization in the sense of kind of bringing new players in from their first exposure uh, to the AHL. So I, I we'll see. I wouldn't. I wouldn't personally mind it, especially because you know Sabrango exits, and he'll yeah. likely have to go back to right. the juniors because of some stupid rule uh, that is very antiquated. But uh, who's to say? Because I don't know that Johansson benefits from staying in the SHL another year. Yeah, and so he's a guy that you would obviously want over. And Vero, you can honestly make the same argument. He had a very strong year in Liga. Does he get anything more from spending another year in Liga, where he was already playing almost twenty minutes a night for his team? It's hard to say. I think you could argue that, especially as the scoring started to come in the playoffs, you could argue, hey, maybe send him back and see if he can really, you know, hone the offense a little more, push the push that. Because I, even though I think SHL and AHL probably aren't that far off, I do consider Liga to be at least kind of a half step down from from that. Is that fair? Or am I? Yeah, I, I think I would put Liga as a half step down, which yeah. is why I don't think you want him really spending another year there. Yeah, this I is mean, your aggressive got, promotion, right? Theory. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a guy who's playing 18 minutes a night with a 60% 5-on-5 goals four percentage and had a really strong postseason. You know, he's not necessarily going to benefit sticking in that same league. I mean, maybe you, you get him set up to go over to the SHL or you got to bring him to the AHL, and, and that's really your only de- developmental options that make sense from a stepping stone standpoint. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, yeah. So the other thing I was trying to think of who you mentioned, um, oh, this is what it was. You mentioned that, you know, developmental versus winning. I just, I think the Red Wings see that as a, not an either or like, I think they think the the key to the development is having them play with veteran players who can number one, have things to teach them. And number two, uh, who are able to kind of carry the load when, in moments where they're not ready for it yet. And it allows you to kind of have that earn your spot uh, dynamic. It allows you to be playing, uh, you know, 
meaningful games at the end of the year. You're not like way back far behind in the standings and, and the games don't matter by March. And, you know, we've talked about even with the Red Wings that that's not an ideal development environment for guys. Um, so I, I think, you know, you talk about them wanting to be a winning organization. I, I do think that is still out of a develop, like born out of a developmental, uh, you know, focus. I just think it, it, it's, it is different than kind of turn it over and have it be all 19, 20, 21 year olds. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Now, that being said, there have been teams that have started to pivot that direction yeah. and have had great success. Chicago you know, was really Marley. good that way right. this year. Yeah. And and Toronto Marley, same thing. You know, they've they've done a nice job of getting a lot of their younger guys in. And, you know, to be quite honest, why not? Because really the AHL is the one league that should really be your developmental league, if you will. So, you know, I think it's important to kind of balance those two things there. I don't think that the Red Wings have necessarily swung as far as maybe Toronto. Um, has in that regard, the Chicago Wolves have in that regard. Um, But uh, it's certainly something that I think is is worth considering, particularly with a couple of the the Grand Rapids veterans likely not being back next year. Yeah, and that is fair. I mean, I I guess you probably expect to still see at least Hicketts and McElrath, yeah? Yeah, but uh, Lashoff uh, shouldn't likely not back, right? Well, he could be. I mean, like... like I guess it would depend where Tampa signs him, right? No, his contract's up, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, so I guess conceivably so he could just he could resign. resign. Um, let me see. Who else do they have down there? Even I, I've only, I only went. I mean, once you got what? Year. Patrick totally Hallway is down there. Yeah, Destu was uh, down there. Yeah, Destu. I, I, I liked his game the last time I was down there. Uh, I don't know if it was a one, one-off kind of situation, but I did like his game the last time I was there. Uh, I think those are that's most of their. Yeah, Tori Dello is the other one that's there. I mean, yep. twenty four again, likely just an AHL um, player only, not yep. really gonna uh, move from there. So you know what? You know, uh, there was a couple of games that I was when I was watching on uh, on stream. They actually had to play one of their wingers. I think it was Spezia, and he was a very capable defenseman back then. Like they were <laughs> shorthanded, and uh, and and they threw Spezia in there, and he was very capable. Nice puck move, I mean, unsurprisingly for for a winger, but yeah, you know, maybe just. Uh, Start moving those wingers back like uh, Chris Watkins always wants you to. So, uh, always advocating for making Zadina a defenseman on on Twitter without fail. Oh, really? I have never seen yeah. that. Oh, I no, follow no, no, him constantly. I, I, I constantly. Follow him. I don't think I've seen him. Anytime, any any comments about the Red Wings are generally about making Philip Zadina a, a defenseman. So, who knows? Huh. All right. Uh, Okay, let's move into kind of the mailbag section of this show. We do have one kind of uh, one that was emailed to me that's a little lengthier that I want to go through first before we get to the, the tweets from today. Uh, it's from Luke Walton in Western Australia. So what's up, Luke? Uh, he says, with wing season coming to an end, I've been naturally thinking of how the lineup can be improved, and he has listed for us some hypothetical trades. Uh, all right, so I'm going to run through these, and you give me uh, what you think of them, yeah? All right. Ready for All right. The first one is, uh, I think this is one's going to be a no. Jake Bean for for New York's second round pick. Uh, I mean, who am I saying no for here? Because I mean, obviously, uh, yes for the Red Wings, but, but Carolina is <laughs> not going to do it. So his his reasoning I mean, yeah. is is expansion draft related. I think the Canes are going to be able to maneuver this so that they're, they're going to be fine. able to protect Bean. And even if they couldn't, I do think his price on the open market would go for a lot more than the mid second rounder. Yeah, he's going to go for a lot more than a mid-second rounder. Um, but he's going to stay. Know, val- he's going to stay. Like they'll wait on yeah. Maggie. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what they'll do. I mean, 
you know, his value, at least from from Dom's model, is roughly that of like uh, of roughly the Red Wings second round pick. So um, but that's, again, because Bean has very little data for Dom to sort of project uh, at, at this point. But I think he gets a lot better. Yeah. Uh, second trade, Vancouver gets the Oilers second round pick. Detroit gets Louis Erickson and Vasily Podkolzin. That's a, that's high on what the Red Wings would be able to extract on a, on a Louis Erickson. It's only one year, but yeah, I mean, a top 10 pick. Getting Podkolzin for, for that would be a huge, huge win. But again, I don't think Vancouver pulls the trigger on that unless another team comes in and offer sheets Vancouver and really <laughs> forces their hand, um, so we'll see. All right, here's my counter, because I'm going to make a counter. I was thinking about this the other day. I think I might have texted you about this like a month ago, and then it resurfaced into my head. Would you offer Vancouver a twist on the Red Wings, Coyotes, Datsuk cap dump, in which Vancouver's pick, let's say it drops one and it's sitting at number 10. Let's see. Uh, let's say the Red Wings land. Oh, we should talk about, um, in a minute, we should talk about the Red Wings pick implications uh, now that Washington's out. Uh, remind me to do that once we finish this. But... Um, the, let's say the Red Wings pick lands at 24. That's a that's a wide gap to jump, and it's wider than the Red Wings uh, and Coyotes gap was when the Red Wings dumped Pavel Datsuk's contract. But given the flat cap environment, given where Vancouver's at, uh, what would you think about a trade that trades the Capitals pick, let's say it's around number 24, and the Canucks pick, let's say it's around 10, uh, the Red Wings tack on... Uh, their own second round pick, or you, if you want to bump it back to like the Rangers second round pick, if you think that that's enough to swing the difference. So you're saying the Red Wings would give up their first, their s- no, and then the, the the Caps first, and their I would say their second, but if you want to say the Rangers second, so it's basically 24 and either like I forget what it is, probably like 37 or okay 44 or something like that, 46. I don't remember where the Rangers and that's in order to move up. To, to the ten. Canucks pick. Yeah. And they take on Erickson. Um, to me, I, I don't know that I would make that deal. As Detroit? Um, as Detroit. Yeah. Uh, partly because, uh, number one, moving up in this draft, uh, I don't know that you're doing it for a really high commodity player. I, I think at 10, you're starting to reach into the very, the, there's a wide spectrum of outcomes yep. for those players. Um so to to give up a second uh, round pick that's thirty seven in a year where having a lot of these lottery balls seems to be very beneficial. I know the Red Wings have other ones, but to do that and then also take on a massive cap dunk in uh, Louis Erickson six million dollars uh, for the season. I think I would want a lot more from Vancouver before I'd make that deal. My reasoning is the kind of established price on that is about a second round pick. Uh, and so you'd be trading, you'd be moving up 14 spots and basically giving up two uh, second round picks to do it. And Van Vancouver also, you know, has the maneuverability. But yeah, I mean, there's a huge difference between what's fair from a value standpoint and, and what desirable. the market has set. Yeah. yeah. And and so the market has certainly set this idea of, OK, give me an earlier second round pick to move up X number of spots in the draft. Uh and, and that's what it's been going for. But in this situation, I think if I'm the Red Wings, uh, that's not close to what fair value should be as opposed to market value. And, and in this case, I'm a little bit more interested in making a, a 
deals that come closer to to fair value than to market value when there is a huge discrepancy. Okay, I can buy that. Um, I do, and I do think you know the, the risk there is like you, you talk about who the second round pick was in that last you know Coyotes uh, Red Wings trade. That pick ends up being the better player than the, than the first rounder that, that the Red Wings gave up. And I think uh, especially in a draft like this where we do expect there's going to be uh, some kind of unearthed guys in the second round who you know maybe if they had been able to play this season in the ohl for example shoot their draft stock up into the you know top 20 or top 25 or so um, and then ultimately turn into really good prospects i do think it's a really risky proposition i just felt like it's not the most dissimilar situation other than the fact that that's was literally leaving for russia we are not yeah. aware of louis erickson leaving for russia at this time <laughs> at this time yeah <laughs> and i mean you know using that example right also the player that Arizona moved up for is collectively better than the other oh, yeah. two players in the deal, which goes. Well, that was my justification against, for it. Is like, right, can you, can right. you replicate that to get a, I don't know if it's going to be like a McTavish is Kent Johnson there at nine or 10. I mean, to me, if I'm looking at the players in this draft and I'm looking at who I'm going to move up for at 10, like the only way I'm moving up is if Beneers is there That's at, not at 10. Cause he wouldn't Brant get past Clark their own is there first at, pick. Right. Yeah. If Brant Clark is there at 10 or if Owen Powers there at 10, but I think outside of those three players, uh, and William Eklund, I should throw him in there as well, really those four players, there's not anyone in there that just screams, I, w- I need to jump on this player at the risk of giving up multiple lottery balls later on. You know who the listeners are going to want to trade up for, right? I am very much aware, <laughs> and we're not just not even going to mention the name, because uh, I think I finally got a message from someone who was listening. I can't remember the name, but they're like, you know what? I'm actually really tired of hearing the goalie logic at this point. And I was like, to be fair, I'm very tired of laying it out at this point. It, what's done is done and nothing's going to change here until we see something different. So listeners, I'm not even going to invoke the name so we don't have to talk about it. I'm going to make a bold statement now. It may sound crazy. I'm going to predict that we never have the goalie conversation on this podcast again. That is a very bold statement about this goalie situation. I don't know that I believe you. <laughs> All right. I guess we'll find out. All right. Uh, okay. The, the third trade from Luke back to this. Oh wait, sorry. Let's do the, um, the Red Wings, the, the Capitals pick real quick. So the way that this works, I've seen a lot of people asking me about it in the last couple of days, asking if the pick is now like in the low teens, cause Washington was the second team eliminated. That is not the way it works. So the way that the NHL seeds, this is obviously they do the, the first, uh, 16 teams or the non-playoff teams. And then the other one, you work backwards. So you get 32 is the cup winner. 31 is the cup runner-up. 29 is the semifinalist who had the uh, better regular season record. 28 is the semifinalist who had the worst regular season record. Then you have any division winners who lost in the first two rounds of the playoffs. And then you have everyone else who lost in the first two rounds of the playoffs seeded by reverse uh, regular season standing. So... Washington's pick cannot go any higher than 22. And that's if everything goes right. Um, Vegas is going to knock off the wild, which will clinch that either Vegas or Colorado is going to the next round. At that point, once that happens, the pick cannot get any better than 23. Uh, From there, the Red Wings do have a path for that pick to get to 23. And that path is Toronto goes to the final four or sorry, Tampa Bay goes to the final four. Boston goes to the final four and Winnipeg or Edmonton, which right now is looking like Winnipeg goes to the final four, but I don't think that's likely. I do think it kind of looks likely that Tampa and Boston get there, which would mean that pick would settle in at 24. 
And then because Arizona has a forfeited pick, that is the 24th pick, but it will be the 23rd player chosen. So that's the way that breaks down. It, it's almost certainly going to fall between 23 and 25. You'd have to get really unlucky for it to be at 26, which would be for Carolina, Toronto, uh, Colorado, and help me out. Who am I missing? Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah. To be the final four. I, I don't necessarily, based on what I've seen from Pittsburgh, see them getting there. Uh, but the other ones certainly could. And so my, my guess is it's probably going to be 24, 23, 24, or 25. Um, it would need to get uh, really <laughs> unlucky for the Red Wings for it to be at 26. And it's virtually impossible. Uh, you would need the Minnesota Wild to make the final four for it to get to uh, 22. So that's the kind of the range there. Yeah, I think at this point in time, expect it to be 23, 24, or 25. Yeah, so. that's what I think too. Uh, okay, so down to, to Luke's third trade suggestion. Tyler Johnson and Cal Foote for a third pick. Or the third round pick, sorry. The Red Wings third round pick. Uh, I mean, Tampa does, will need the cap space for Braden Point. Tampa does um, this. I don't know if Detroit does this. Right. I, I don't know, again, to take on Tyler Johnson's contract. Yes, Tyler Johnson had a heck of a season, you know, after I think I very much said I didn't think he could do that. He had a pretty good season. Um, so he he deserves all the props for that. But I think each each year you add on from an age standpoint, I don't I don't know that he's going to be able to continue doing it to make that value worthwhile. And then the other issue with him is it's not just a short-term thing. It's a longer-term contract. You do have three more years left at $5 million. I think if you're looking at treating this as a quote-unquote Cap dump, although he's a little bit better than your standard cap dump, uh, I want more than this if I'm Detroit. Yeah, I mean, I want a fir- I want a future first if I'm Detroit, and not not next year's. You know, like I mean, I guess yep. the fact that it's 2022 is relevant, but I I would be asking if I'm Steve Eisman for 2023 or 2024 is unprotected first to take yeah. Tyler Johnson's deal. I agree. Um, but Calfoot was a first round pick, and Eisman, I believe, was the one who drafted him, right? Yeah, yeah or maybe that was. was the year. I think that was. The year Cal he was about to uh, twenty seventeen. Right? Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. From, from they drafted both my... foot brothers, and I don't remember which order it was. Yeah, Calfoot was twenty seventeen. Okay, so Eisman so, drafted him, so you yeah. know there's an affinity there. He is obviously Eisman's type of defenseman, but yeah. there's a chance uh, Calfoot uh, goes in the expansion draft anyway, right? Potentially, yeah. I mean, with the way Tampa's laid out. All right, uh, fourth trade. Uh, oh, I, I love the player. I don't think that uh, they give him up for this. Detroit gets Joel Erickson Eck. Minnesota gets Washington's first or the Red Wings second. Um, I think you might have to give up both. And even then, with the way Minnesota, I think you need both plus more. Yeah, exactly. Like so. with the way Minnesota's shaking out center wise, like he's their number one center. You're not going to steal somebody's number one center even for you know, let's say it's pick twenty five and and pick thirty five. That's not happening. Yeah. Nope. Uh, I think you need a fir- like Detroit's first. Uh, honestly, would yeah. be a starting point in a deal like that. Ooh, would you do that? Would I do that? No, okay. but I think that's the value that Joel Erickson X is building for himself. He's great. He's yeah, he's a great player. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, he, I think he's literally carving. I mean, we've seen it just in the playoffs here against Vegas. He's yeah. been Minnesota's best player. Yeah, I agree. So. I, I love the player. I did, I don't think you can yeah. get him for this. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, on to the Twitterverse. What did you guys leave in the old mailbag today? Well, first of all. I have to applaud uh, this question here because uh, Peter came up with a guaranteed way to get his question read. Uh, his question is, 
If BetMGM, shout out to our sponsors, had a prop that the Wings will win the cup in the next 10 seasons at even money, would you take it? Even money? I'd be pissed uh, if they had even money on, on, on a I would be, championship yeah, bet. The only team that would take no even way. money to win a cup in the next 10 years are Colorado. That might be and the Tampa. only one. Tampa. I mean, I would take Tampa. Yeah. I, but that's it. But, it that, but that's like in the next, if they don't do it in the next three, yikes, you know, you're really taking I mean, the next three. Yeah, well, that's for Tampa. I think Colorado, I would take take them in the next five to seven years, assuming the way that they've got everything laid out. But yeah, I mean, even money, no, like that should be plus 800. Like if I'm making that battle on the Red Wings at this point. Right, because it's going to be be like, yeah, it's going to be plus like 20,000 for like the next two seasons, right? At least in that. Not 20,000, plus 2,000. 2,000, yeah. But I think. Or more. To say in the next 10 years, I mean, I'm probably looking realistically somewhere between plus six to plus 800 uh, to make that bet. And I'm not I'm not taking it at even money, even money. Again, Colorado, you're right, is probably the only team over the course of 10 years that would have a consistent shot at winning um, as of now. Yeah, I agree with that. I would not uh, take it even money. I I would take it at like plus a thousand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, plus 800 is what I'm saying. I would take it at. But plus a thousand. Definitely uh, continue moving in that direction and I'll consider it even more. So, yeah. All right. Uh, James Goodwin, if the Red Wings hit the lottery this year and pick one or two, do you think it would be wise or plausible to move the pick for a 2022 or even 2023 first rounder cashing in the lottery win for more tickets in a top heavy in more top heavy draft years? Oh, that'd be fun. That's a delicious idea. I love that idea. But the analogy. Uh, no, I hate the idea. The analogy is exactly right. You win the lottery and then you cash it in for just more lottery tickets. <laughs> I would, and when one lottery is for lottery for fifty thousand dollars, and one lottery is for two hundred thousand dollars. No, you take the fifty thousand dollars because you can end up with like basically nothing in the two hundred thousand dollars. Well, ones. but here's the thing, right? It's it's not like that because you still have a ticket to the two hundred thousand dollar lottery. Yeah, and you have fifty thousand tickets to the two hundred thousand dollar lottery, but you're well, still unlikely. No, no, no. To win. What I'm saying is, like, instead of it being viewed as sort of the zero sum where it's fifty thousand or zero or two hundred thousand or zero, like Detroit's still going to have yeah. tickets in both scenarios. But the most you could win in the fifty thousand lottery is fifty thousand dollars. Okay, but the question to me then is, what is the like how much is like player because because a team that's going to make this trade is probably not like it's probably not like San Jose. You know what I mean? Like it's probably not a team that you ex- reasonably expect to be one of the two or three worst teams. Like I don't think it's Buffalo. Uh, I guess maybe you could argue that because they need to kind of get a move on with this. Um, but like who's the team that's doing it? Like ultimately you're probably saying is like the seventh or eighth pick in 2022 or 23 worth 50 grand. To it to the two hundred thousand dollar of Shane Wright or Matvey Mitchkov or Connor Bedard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, totally. That's sort of what you're saying is is this is the sixth or seventh pick because that's the kind of team you need to be targeting in twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three. Going to get you an equivalent player or at least within the ballpark of the second overall player that goes in twenty twenty one, such that you you don't end up losing a deal like that in a huge manner. And the fact of the matter is, I think it does. I I just am not. 100% sold on the ceiling of the 2021 class. And and if you're telling me that I could ship that second round pick or that that second overall pick conceivably or first overall pick to a team that is going to have a potentially 8% or higher or I should say 7 7.5% or higher 
you know, shot at first overall, in addition to Detroit's likely seven and a half percent or higher shot. I mean, now I'm effectively the best position team or the second best position team for that lottery next season. Um, and and if I'm Detroit, again, I still think getting two players in that ballpark is is better than getting, you know, the second overall pick this year and then just one of those guys next year. The main thing uh, I, I just the main I thing I like about the idea is that all of a sudden you've got a chance at Wright or Bedard or Mitchkov that doesn't rely on your own failure. Like you've got a path that like someone else is losing can get you one of those guys. Um, that's the number one thing I like about it. But with that said, I'm sitting tight. I'm picking Owen Power or Matt Beneers, and uh, I'm I'm uh, exiting the arena quickly. <laughs> I mean, I guess you still you know got what? a lot more picks to make, but you, you know what? You, you still know. do. <laughs> you still do. I, I think it's a really great idea, um, and I'd probably have to spend a little bit more time on the math of it to see to see exactly what would need to happen for it to really be a, a reasonable idea on the surface. I have, for the record, done that where you win like a ten dollars scratch off and buy more ten dollars scratch offs. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <with> the money, <laughs> right? That's what, I, right? Because if the number one prize there, you know, I'm just saying, I'm just saying that I think we're we're sort of overestimating 2021 and underestimating 2022 and 2023. Fair enough. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream Direct TV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on Direct TV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on Direct TV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. Direct TV has the most MLB games. Visit directtv.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Okay, uh, Mick says... Oh, no. Sorry. That's just a tweet to me. Stacy Nye says, Eiserman talked about the need for the team to generate more offense next year. Do you think that will be accomplished mostly by the current players, or do you anticipate him bringing in guys from free agency similar to what he did with defense this year or a combination of both? I don't think he brings in <clears throat> like guys that are going to be the guys expected to contribute yeah, offense. There's, there's not like a Mike Hoffman <clears throat> enter in the picture next year. No, I don't, th- I don't think you get – I mean, he's not going to go out and throw $10 million at Alexander Ovechkin and say, hey, come play in Detroit. Uh, I don't think you get anything like that that happens. I think it's going to be the guys in the room right now need to be better than they are. And, 
you know, I'm going to pull out my old favorite Ken Holland line and the guy coming back from injury is your deadline acquisition. Well, this time it's Tyler Bertuzzi coming back from injury is your free agency acquisition um, and, and having a full you know season of Jacob Verona if he hangs around, uh, I think would be what you're looking for uh, to, to bring you more offense. I don't see a lot of I don't see him pulling any top six guys in. It really sounded like they're counting on internal progress and and getting healthy as a driver for this. But I will say the one thing I could see is if they do make a move that's kind of fueled by either the cap or the expansion draft um, and getting reinforcement that way. Like, like, like for example, we bring up like the Teller Johnson thing. If the lightning said, we'll give you a 2023 unprotected first to take Teller Johnson. uh, He's going to help the scoring. He is. He does. He very much does. So in a trade like that, or if there's like someone who's going to be unprotected at the Red Wings, are like, hey, swoop in, you know, a Devin Tave style deal kind of thing where you're able to get somebody not with an asset attached, but just for a way less asset cost than it ought to take to get them. Those are the two scenarios where I could see um, external playing a a needle moving role in, in increasing the offense. Yeah, I agree with that. Outside of that, I think everything's going to be internal. Uh, Joe asks, with fifty million, should Steve Eiserman continue massively front-loading contracts on RFA's or free agents for longer contracts? Um, I mean, you don't want long contracts on really anybody on this team. Um, in terms of, I guess I'm I'm trying to think: is he like trying to suggest that? I think he might be under the impression that you can front-load cap space, which you can't do. Yeah. Um, if you, yeah, you definitely can't do that. And even from a buyout perspective, I don't know if that's the other angle he's going at. I mean, or maybe just like like, very tradable kind of thing, but I I don't, I don't think so. Like to me, the, the purpose of front loading, well, there's probably two. Number one, when you're in unrestricted free agency, it's a real weapon that you can use to say, look, we're going to give you this cash like upfront, man. Like you don't have to sit around waiting for these checks to clear whatever. We're going to just drop. $11 $11 million in your driveway tomorrow kind of thing. Um, that's one advantage. And the other is like Prashant said to kind of brace for buyouts um, and, and make the contract kind of more palatable toward the very end, especially with an older player. If you think there's kind of a real risk of decline. Um, I don't think those are really in play for the Red Wings here. It does not affect the cap picture. They, that's what kind of the purpose of AAV is. So um, someone can make wildly different sums in in year one of their contract and year four in their contract but the cap hit is the same because the cap hit is the average annual value which is the years of the contract divided by the total amount paid Um, so it doesn't affect the cap and also i would say with where hockey's finances have been at coming off of a year um where there were not many fans in most buildings where revenues are down you're probably not going to find a lot of owner willingness to front load a bunch of salary right now anyway um, and again, there's really not a whole lot of gain the Red Wings would have unless they were in like a free agent bidding war and they wanted to offer somebody like the whole thing up front kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, and all that being said, the NHL this year, I think in their most recent CBA updates made it even more difficult to front load a contract. Yes. Now I believe the salary variance can't exceed 35% uh, between the highest and the lowest salary years where previously it used to be 50%. Um, so uh, it's it's basically not going to be uh, as easy to do as it was in years past. And even in years past, it wasn't easy to do because the whole issue was literally those Henrik Zetterberg, Johan Franzen contracts where the salary dollars were very high early on and then were $1 million in the last years and the players could just retire on those. That's, that's the whole reason for the cap recapture penalty. So really, it's very difficult to do this in the NHL. Some player movement questions. Um, 
from Jay, should the Ribbon continue, consider a reunion with Tomas Tatar this summer? Uh, as much fun as it would be, uh, unless you're doing it for two or two years or less, I don't, I don't think it's worthwhile uh, at his age, although he would be, again, a guy that could certainly bring you top six minutes. Mitch Cody wants to know about Philip Deneau, who is the unrestricted free agent, great defensive center. He's suggesting a contract of three years times $6 million, uh, and obviously slotted at the 2C. Do you like Philip Deneau, and do you like Philip Deneau at that price? I think we talked about Deneau a little bit. I mean, uh, he's certainly a very talented uh, 2C. I don't know that you get him um, around that price, but if you do, I mean, you know, maybe maybe it's worthwhile. But I just, if I'm Detroit, I'm, not, I'm probably not doing it. Okay. Uh, another one from Mitch Cody, this one more of a trades style one. What do you think about going after young centers who have underperformed like Nolan Patrick, Jost, or Morgan Geeky being available due to the expansion draft? I think we talked about Patrick uh, for sure. Patrick. We talked about Barrett Hayton in that conversation as yeah. well. Yeah. I mean, Morgan Geeky's a, a fine hockey player as well, but certainly not in the same tier. Those other guys, uh, um, I mean, sure. If you're getting just him depends for cheap, what they think, want, though, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, those aren't going to be huge needle moving deals, in my yeah. opinion. I think those are really just like, hey, okay, if it works and you want to give it a shot, like you're doing it like the Robbie Fabry deal. Yeah, I think that's what it. That's kind of like your context. Yep, yeah, I agree. Uh, Colin Plump, more open ended. If you could bring back any one former Red Wing, active or retired, to help this team, who would it be? I mean, if your answer is anything other than Nick Lidstrom, then I don't know what you're... I mean, Nick Lidstrom fixes this hockey team, so... <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, let's say active to make it a little more challenging. Um, but I agree with Lidstrom, obviously. I mean, the, that's the fun part is there's not a lot of really great and active Red Wings out there. as they are. Like, it is right. like you're getting Tatar at 31 or Nyquist at 30, whatever he I, is. I might rather have Lidstrom at 51. <laughs> I mean, just to be serious. <laughs> I mean, have you seen him? He looks like he could still play. Um, no, I mean, as as far as... Can I can I say Vasilevsky? Because he was technically the Red Wings draft pick. <laughs> no, but I love the creativity. <laughs> because other than that, I, Thomas Tatar is the best player out there that is active... Uh, that's a former Red Wing right now. I mean, Brendan Smith had a solid season in New York, but he doesn't change anything for Detroit in terms of age-wise. It might be Mantha age-wise, <laughs> right? I mean, age-wise, maybe it's Mantha, and you're bringing him right back. But again, like then you just go through the same sort of yeah. headache that a lot of people had this year. So, uh, no, I'm sticking with Vasilevsky because he was a former Red Wings draft pick. All right, I'll, I'll allow it. No love right. for uh, Red Wings legend David Savard, though. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, he only he didn't spend enough time here to to, to really grow on. But me. Vasilevsky did. <laughs> but Vasilevsky did that pick. The Red Wings knew they had that pick that entire year, right? So you know that pick that that was an attachment thing, and I, it was hard to let that one go. All right, LGRW thirteen says, "What would you want or expect Bernie's contract extension to look like if the Red Wings resign him?" Bernie did say last week Detroit is his number one choice. I think he had that's the strongest he's come out and expressed his desire to return. Hey, look. I love it. Two years, 3.5 million. That's fine. Yeah. I, I think that's exactly the right range. That gives him a raise that makes him the highest paid goaltender on the team. Right. Yeah. So I think just, uh, just above Grace. Grace is three, three or three, four. I think he's three, three. I would have to double check, but I think it's, I think he's three, three and that's why three six. Okay. So maybe you go three, okay. seven, three. Yeah. Three, seven for Jonathan Bernier. Yep. I like that. Uh, okay. And, and two years, I think is the right range. I think that you just keep playing these two year terms. It works. Look at, look at Colorado, look at Carolina. Yep. It just keeps working. Uh, Mark Souffle says, if you play Raymond in Detroit next year, what does your top nine look like? First of all, that's 
not going to happen. But if that does happen, we can kind of give like the, I don't know, February 5th lines, I guess, if Raymond has a great start in GR. Yeah, I mean, if, if he gets a great start, um, I think he would be a lot of fun uh, as as a guy that could play with Dylan Larkin, I think he's a guy who could keep up from a speed standpoint. I think he could, you know, be the right winger on that line. And so maybe you have, you know, Larkin playing with Raymond, and maybe on the on the left side, uh, you've got Jacob Vrana. And I think that line would just be absolutely electric. I think, you know, your second line, you you probably got your Tyler Bertuzzi. I'm guessing it's probably Michael Rasmussen sitting at the second line center, unless Detroit. Bring someone in, and so Milano you know, having, could take that job by by that time. Of yeah, year. so so it's one of those two. I'm not yeah. sure who's going to be the guy, but whether it's Valeno or whether it's Rasmussen, I mean, conceivably, you're looking at one of them being the center on that line, one of them being the winger on the on the line, uh, along with Tyler Bertuzzi, or you know, you're potentially going in a different route and either having someone come in, you're bringing a veteran up to play higher in the lineup. Maybe Adam Ernie is still scoring. You know. 10 goals a month. And, what about and, Fabry? Yeah. You got Zadina. Yeah, you could put Fabry up there. I, I wouldn't have a problem with Fabry. Wouldn't have a problem with Zadina playing up there. I think it sort of depends on like how the roster construction goes from that center spot. It's just like yeah. I have a tough time if your center is going to be Rasmussen or Valeno, like turning it into an all-youth line is, is my yeah. only hesitation there, which is why I'm like trying to stagger some of the veterans. So Fabry might be a better fit with, you know, maybe Rasmussen and uh, you know, Bertuzzi, and then maybe your, your third line has, you know, if Nemesnikov isn't uh, exposed and he's kept, and then maybe Nemesnikov is there with, uh, you know, whoever's left. Valeno and Zadina. Valeno and Zadina. Maybe that's how that works. So uh, that's probably the best you can make your top nine, I think, unless you're bringing in outside help. I think I would space out the pot carriers a little different. So I would probably go with uh, Larkin, with uh Veron or uh, Larkin, Zadina, and Bertuzzi, um, Rasmussen, Verana, and Fabry, and then Valeno, Nemesnikov, or Gagne, and Raymond would be how I would do it. And everyone's gonna be mad at us that we neither of us put Zadina and Verana together, so well, yeah. you could do that, I think. You could do that. You could play them with Rasmussen on the second line, and you could play Bertuzzi with Fabry as Larkin's wings. I think you can do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you can make that work. I I like Verana um, as someone who can play without like a distributing center because he's such a good self-creator. Um, and Zadina can create for him too, as he showed a little bit this year. So I think that can work. Yeah. I, I mean, my the whole impetus for me having Raymond Larkin and Verana on a line is while it's loading up, I think that line would be dominant. Oh, absolutely. I think that would be a absolutely dominant puck possession line uh, with the tenacity of backchecking from Raymond and Larkin, uh, the ability for each of them to carry the puck up the ice. I think that versatility would just be very difficult to stop, almost similar to what Boston has with their top line. Yep. Uh, Josh Brink says, how many rookies do you realistically see starting for the Red Wings next season? He says, uh, starting meaning spending the majority of their time in Detroit. And he wants to set the line at 2.5. Do you take the over or under on that? Uh, two and a half is high. I'm going to take the under for yeah. sure. I, mean, I was going to say one. Rookies are Cider and Valeno. So there's two. Like That's yeah. happening. Those are yeah. Calder eligible guys. And then it's who's your third who's going to spend the majority of their time. I don't think there is one. Yeah. I don't think Raymond, Berger, and Johansson spend the majority of their time. Is Lindstrom Calder eligible? That might 
get you over on a technicality. I mean, that would be a massive technicality. I don't know if he's no, played. No, because he's played what, six and two. Six and two. Yeah, it's seasons. been two seasons. Yeah. So, yeah. no. Yeah, you're right. Right. Yeah. Okay. No longer Calder eligible. He was Calder eligible this year. So, this was his Calder year. Uh, he did not make my ballot. That's a shame. Uh, Jason Turner, uh, he saw uh, Eisman's season wondering about Chara as a one-year mentor for Cider. What do you think of that scenario? Uh, Chara's could be a fun hockey player to bring in. I yep. mean, what a what better way to learn how to play big man hockey than from Zidane Chara, right? I mean, uh, plus that line would not be fun to <laughs> carry the puck in against. I mean, just from the reach and then the hitting, uh, I don't know what you want to do, but... Uh, it would it would be interesting to watch. The only concern I would have would be uh, how many big hits does Mo Sider take being the guy who's got to turn and chase the puck for Chara because yeah. uh, Chara's feet don't move that well. And so uh, Sider's going to be the guy turning and chasing every single time because teams are going to dump it in on Chara's side. Uh, so Sider's probably going to take a lot of body hits there. So, I mean, it'd be a fine idea uh, for sure. I think Alexiak's another guy that we've thrown out. Yep. Uh, who would be a lot of fun. He'll be a little bit more expensive, but I think he'd be a good guy uh, to also have as a mentor there. It was pretty fun. Um, someone gave me credit for that idea in my mentions, and I really just completely co-signed it when it was your idea last time. But now you know it's what? canon it's on Twitter that that's my idea. So And, and, and we all know Twitter is the gospel. So, Max, congratulations on your excellent idea of having Jamie Alexia <laughs> as Mosider's partner. Thank you very much. Uh, Beer League Chump asks, how many goals will Pedersen score in his Red Wings debut next year, and which wingers will he play with? Uh, it'll be 35 goals uh, for sure. Uh, you know, I, I think – could you imagine Pedersen playing with Verona and Z- like Zadina? Do you know how much fun that would be? <laughs> very fun. Make it happen. Do the offer sheet. I don't care about the general manager's feelings. Jim Benning clearly has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> Please give the offer sheet. David Jackson says, can we now get a final proclamation that the Mantha trade is a big win for the Red Wings and a bigger loss for the Caps? No, because, uh, I mean, look, sometimes it takes a little while post-deadline for these guys to jive. I mean, Thomas Tatar was scratched by Vegas and then goes and has like a 60 or 70 point season with Montreal the year after. Um, Yes, it, look, I'm not going to deny that the Red Wings got an absolutely massive win, but I'm not ready to call it a loss for Washington here um, because it didn't work out this one season when, truth be told, they were never going to be the cup favorite. Like, they were never even going to be their conference favorite. So I'm not basing anything off of the Washington series, but I just think I, after 11 games of seeing Verona, I was not bullish enough on what Verona was going to be like I like the Red Wings did much better. I thought they did well, and, and I thought they had a lot of upside. But I thought a lot of it depended on the pick. Um, I'm now more open to the idea that others were at, at first that you know Verona, Verona is good enough to justify that as like a straight up basically. Even though I still think Mantha is like has some dimensions to him that Verona just simply doesn't have. I was not nearly appreciating how how good. Uh, Verona's release was and how much he could self-care. I do expect a slump for Verona. He's not going to score whatever it was, eight goals in 11 games as his baseline. He's not going to be a point-per-game player likely, but I think his odds of being a steady 60-plus guy are way better than I gave credit for at the time of the trade. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Verona was a guy who never got the minutes in Washington, but was a guy who scored at an elite rate. I mean, an elite rate. Yeah, it's just end goal scorer. And so, you know, Maybe he does score at a at a ridiculous rate now that his minutes are scaled up, right? I mean, he's the exact case series. Like, this is what we talked about. It's like, 
when you change context for these players, does that production hold? And I mean, he went from a more open Washington system to a defense first Detroit team with very little surrounding talent with Larkin being injured and all of the other guys out. And he still scored at that rate. Shooting percentage tells you about half of his goals don't go in like of this year. Like shooting percentage tells you it was probably more like four and a half to five is what he would be expected to shoot. You're saying like because his expected goals were four and a half. Is that what you're? No, the shooting percentage is like all it's like almost double his usual. Um, oh, I don't know what the what the expected what goals were. He's got great finishing. I would expect him to defy expected goals models, but the shooting percentage was higher by quite a margin than it normally is. And like you know, there's the like his fourth goal in the four goal game is not a goal you're going to score more than you know twice in your career kind of thing. But he's a great player. I think he can be a thirty plus, maybe maybe thirty five goal, um, sixty point plus guy. I think he can. I I did not. I was not seriously entertaining that possibility at the time of the trade. I am seriously entertaining that possibility now. Would you be interested in knowing that in almost every year of his career, Jacob Rana has almost doubled his, his goal total has doubled his expected goal total. Yeah. He's got crazy finishing. There's no doubt. Yeah. So, I mean, I I guess along the lines of what I'm saying is, uh, you know, he had eight goals on four expected goals with Detroit, and I mean, is that what it the was? Season prior, four expected. Yeah, yeah, it was four, and then the season prior, he's twenty five on eighteen. But expected. the shooting percent is like yeah. tw- it's like twenty five percent, and he's like a career thirteen and a half or so. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, we'll, we'll. He's definitely not going to shoot twenty five percent. I can yeah. I can safely say that. But maybe it's sixteen though. I don't like. I'm not going to say sixteen is yeah. impossible for him. I, and sixteen is what he was shooting in Washington before he came over. Yeah, he was this at sixteen point two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the in this season, he was shooting at sixteen point two. So I think at the end of the day, Jacob Ron is a hell of a player and a much better player than I think a lot of people gave credit for because partly for the concerns of how would his game scale up in a bigger role yeah. and in a different system. He's clearly passed that with flying marks. And so to me, the Red Wings side of things is very clearly a huge, huge, huge win. Yeah. But I'm not ready, like willing to like evaluate the totality of the trade here by saying that it's a massive win and Washington had a massive loss. Yeah which may be reading more into the question than actually is, but no, I think, I think that's still written like in there. It, it, it is. It says big loss for Washington. I yeah, think that's a fair read of the question. So I, I don't want to call it a big loss. I'll, I'll give you the first half and I'll yeah. say it's a big win, but I'm not willing to call it a big loss just yet. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And just my little coll- corollary um, onto this. Is that the word corollary? Or is it collary? Corollary? Corollary. Corollary. Great. Uh, I always have a friend that, that went to grad school around whenever you can. They'll, <laughs> they'll tell you these things. Um, I, I thought that, yes, the points per 60 were unbelievable and that he would, you know, obviously get more ice time there. I just thought that, that the surrounding talent was going to be an equivalent step down. You're going from Baxter Merkuznetsov as your center to, I think Larkin's a great player, um, but, you know, it was you weren't going to have the same talent. You weren't going to have Ovechkin, Oshie, uh, you know, on, on your wings to set you up either. So I, I thought that would cancel out. It just didn't in Detroit. And it didn't without Larkin even in the lineup either for most of that time. That's the scary thing is that like Verona did this in a world where the minutes were not unsustainable. It was like 17 minutes. That's what you expect him to play. And next time, next year, you're going to plop in like Larkin and Bertuzzi or like Fabry or somebody else onto those wings and the talent level is going to go up too. Like that's what's so crazy about the Verona uh experience so far yeah i mean just the fact that he did it with detroit not having larkin bertuzzi they deal mantha you know no fabry like uh 
it was very impressive to watch. It was 11 games, but I'm going to overreact to it. <laughs> That's what this is all about, isn't it? Exactly. Um, okay. Phil Roberto, why do you feel Lindstrom does not have a higher ceiling? His play in both call-ups seems to demonstrate he's a much more, he is much more than a serviceable D-man, crisp, accurate passer, smart defender who can play in all situations. I guess we just kind of saw different things on this then, because I, like, I thought he was a serviceable D-man, but I don't know that I saw much more than that. Like, to me, that's what a serviceable D-man is. Crisp, crisp passes, good, you know, fine skater, can play you know, can kill a little bit like that's, you know, you got to be these things to get to the NHL. That's he's an NHL defenseman, but I don't see a top four defenseman. I don't see like a separating skill that he has, I guess is what I would say. Yeah. I mean, he's a defenseman. That's, that's, that's my opinion of it yeah. is like he, he showed up, he plugged in, he played the game. There was nothing distinguishing about Gustav Lindstrom that would make me think there is another level to his game. Um, I mean, you look at the sort of his on ice metrics and, they were in line with what his teammates did, uh, you know, doing it in kind of relatively simple uh, context. You know, if you get into more of the advanced uh, models for, uh, you know, looking at evolving hockey's like expected goals above replacement uh, and things along those lines. I mean, he didn't particularly perform well in those. He was positive uh, goals he, above replacement, though. He was. Yep. He was. But it was 0. 0.6. Yeah. Like but 0. in 13 6. games. So extrap- if, you, yeah. if you multiply that by four, it's like two and a half. And if that's what it would have been over a full season, like that's not nothing, but it's not even a full win. I don't think. Yeah, no, it's not yeah. even a full win. Um, and, and again, that's just where it's just to me, I haven't seen enough to say that there is another gear here. Yeah. Now, granted, we are talking about 29 NHL games. That's and that's all fine. By the way, a second round pick. Yeah. If this guy's, if this guy is an NHL defenseman, which I think he looks like he might be even as a third pair guy, that's a, that's what, that's a, that's a great outcome out of that pick right at, in like the 30s i think he's drafted 38 or so it's a good uh, it's a it's a yeah good i think the challenge to evaluating the gustav lindstrom pick is that he went a lot higher than yeah. a lot of people said he was gonna go right i think if i remember correctly like north america or i think for europe he was like 90th um in central scouting or somewhere in that ballpark so he was went high and then the other Thing that we haven't really jumped into and talked about is who went in the 39th pick oh, right God. after the 38th pick. It was Jason Roberts. <laughs> that was going to be the runner up for the Calder. And the guy who went after Jason Robertson is Alexi Hepaniemi, who's playing very well in Florida. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, he sort of went a little above where he should have. I mean, Alexander Texier goes a few picks after that. Maxim Comtois goes a few picks after that. Okay. Uh, you, you know, so there was a lot of good hockey players there, point. and he was a reach at that time. Yep. So, yes, you got the expected outcome for the position, but you did miss on a lot of guys who were pretty right solid there. going right after. And that, by the way, is what I think is the most fair way to do revisionist draft stuff is not like, oh, Braden, you, you know, your, your first pick in the first round or whatever. Braden Point was there at 70. Like, in hindsight, people probably should have drafted Braden Point higher. But I don't think that's where you crush a team. I think you crush a team when like three of the next five guys picked were studs and they didn't get a stud. That's where I think it's fair. Yeah, and it's a, it's the 2017 draft where a lot of the picks, frankly, just had, didn't pan out the way they should have for you know yeah. Detroit. And 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 it is what it is. But I think it's important to call attention to it that yes, in the context of where he's picked, I think it's a reasonable pick. But please recognize all the guys who go right after him, particularly Jason Robertson. Yeah. Went the, with the next pick. 
And as for the question of like why we don't see more upset, what this may honestly be coming down to, Phil, is that we probably have, uh, because of the state of the Red Wings, we probably played up like good like number five play uh, to a level that would like you know like like when we talk about like a Troy Stetcher or John Merrill, like most teams, these guys are not top four defensemen for right. Those are third pair guys. So like if, if you told me that you think Gustav Lindstrom can someday have a comparable impact to Stetcher or Merrill, I wouldn't be right there, but I, I hear that there's an argument for that. Like, there's no doubt that that can happen. I don't see it, but like if that happens, that's still like a number five, right? Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, John Merrill, right, was at times the 7D for Vegas yeah. in 2019. And he's like the five or six for Montreal right now in the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. And and he was arguably Detroit's best defenseman, second best defenseman. Yeah. So it's just, two for sure. it shows you, yeah, it just shows you the, the kind of gap between some of these teams. Yeah. So I, I really, ultimately, if we're saying Heronic's probably your three or maybe even more likely your number four when you're good, just slot everything down from there and see how it falls, right? Like if Heronic is on your second pair, that means Cider's on one, someone else is on one, someone else is with Heronic on two, and then who's behind him? Those are third pair guys. You know what I mean? So like just because they, you know, could Lindstrom play on the second pair for Detroit next year? I don't see it, but it could happen for sure. But that wouldn't make him a kind of overall true talent top 4D, I guess is where where we're coming from this. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Okay, uh, two more. Lassie Anderson, who's your favorite player from a small hockey country? He puts in parentheses like Denmark. I assume he's from Denmark, but that's convenient because Nick Ehlers is from Denmark, uh, and I'm a big yeah. Nick Ehlers guy. I mean, Nick Ehlers has to be the guy, right? Like, yeah. who who else are you uh, taking besides? And I mean, you know, Zemgis Gergensen's was always a fun you could one from Latvia. Sidle or cider, like that's probably comparable yeah. Size. Well, but I don't call. Germany's not a small. That's true. They're like the world country, the, right? The world juniors and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, so maybe if I pick on Latvia, I mean, uh, Zemgis Gergensen's was fun uh, for Carolina fans. I mean, obviously, Kopitar, Slovenia. Ur- yeah, Slovenia would be uh, Kopitar. I think Archer's Urbe was uh, Latvia as well. Hell of a goaltender for San Jose and Carolina. Uh, you know, so Elvis Merzlikens is from Latvia, so he's another guy that you could probably throw there. Um, but it's it. Yeah. Yeah, it's Ehlers. I love watching him play. He is um, very, By the very way, good. here's a thought I have. What stops Jacob Vrana from being Nick Ehlers? Ice time. But but like tools-wise, like maybe a little harder on the puck. Ehlers a little tougher to play against. Other than that. Yeah, is a- Ehlers is a better two-way player yeah. for sure. Defensively, Ehlers is a much more rounded out player than, but, but than that's Vrana. Controlled. But offensively. There's nothing yeah, that I think stops him from doing it like inherently, right? He's just as yeah. fast. He's got just as good a shot. He's got all of the talent to do it. So Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I think the defense is the separator. But I don't know why you can't get there. Like, he could get there. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, okay, last one. I'm actually going to need you to explain to me because I don't this seems like something that um, is like a more tactical thing that I'm familiar with. Does the salary cap make hockey a weak link versus strong link game? I don't quite know what that means. Um, so and, oh, there's more to the question I should read. Do you actually not want McDavid, Drysaddle, or Matthews Marner once they're off their ELC because it makes it too hard to build a consistent contender around them? And should Edmonton consider trading Drysaddle for quality depth? But first, I want to know what weak link and strong link are. So, I mean, basically, the whole strong link, weak link thing that came up is is basically if you have the best players or arguably the best pieces, um, those are. Uh, you know, basically, what it's saying. Maybe the easiest way to explain it is so from a strong link. A team is as is only as good as its strongest players. Mm-hmm. 
weak link. A team is only as good as its weakest players. And sort of think about which one of those definitions best applies to hockey. But it's neither, so, though. It's neither. So it's it really, truly, it's neither, yeah. I think. But which one is it more like? Weak is link. Is it more like weak link or yeah. strong link? Yeah, and I think it's I think it's more like weak link. And I think the crux of the question is because of what you're seeing happen with Edmonton. Edmonton has the two best players in that series. Yeah, they have Connor McDavid and they have, right. I mean, you have McDavid and Dreisaitl. But the impact that the best players can have on a game in hockey is smaller than other sports. Yeah, like in basketball, you get the guys who play 80% is a of the game and there's yeah. like five guys on the court. And yeah, That's exactly right. Like, you know, Steph Curry plays 48 minutes yeah. for the whole game. You know, he plays the whole game. You can have, and there's only five guys, like you said, and the ball is always in his hand. And they're set possessions. It's much easier. But that doesn't strike me as a cap-induced thing. There is some cap element to it because you can't pay everybody like the O2 Red Wings. But it, I think at some level, you can only is, pay, play 25 minutes a night for your best player. Right. So I, I think that's. I think part of it is that. And then the other thing is that I, I think the cap doesn't really factor in to the definition of strong link or weak link. I think it's more what's actually happening on the ice versus paying it. But you know, to his point. Uh, I think what he's getting at is because there's this hard salary cap in place, it's that much harder to really be a team that can win and by building it up of your supporting cast, although that's, truth be told, an argument for it being a weak link sport here. And so that's why you see teams all the time, like Columbus can sweep Tampa because they, they were as good as their weakest players. And it's not to say that Tampa couldn't win because their weakest players weren't as good. It's just that their strongest players couldn't have as much of an impact. Yeah. So I think that's fair. I mean, but what I will say is I don't think Edmonton's better off trading Drysidle. I mean, unless you're unless it's about like a timelines or age thing, I still think those are the rarest pieces. Those are the pieces that can break games open. Drysidle had three points in the last game, and the reason they lost was not because of um, Drysidle. I, I guess you can say they could have paid their paid for better depth if they didn't have the Drysidle contract, but not by that much. And the real problem is they misappropriated the money that they had for their depth, not that they couldn't pay better depth. It's that they had the wrong depth um, for a reasonable price, honestly. Yeah, I mean, Edmonton made a lot of other mistakes. And the, the you should not walk away saying, trade your best players for weaker players um, because you still need very good talent to win in the end. Uh, but the, the takeaway should be, you need to do a better job of surrounding those better players with better, weaker players. Yeah, I mean, like, like when you look at Edmonton's you know depth players, the Cassian contract, I don't love, $3.2 million for him. Um, and then you also got James Neal, 5.75. Chiasin, more than $2 million. Beyond that, it's not too bad. It's mostly guys between one point five and $1. But like, even if you just take the the Neal, Cassian, and Chiasin contracts, that gets you $11 million for those three players. Well, if you can sprinkle that out, um, you can get better players than that for that sum of money. You could get like basically three Robbie Fabries, to be honest. Um, and you also could have better ELC players than they have right now. Um, and soon actually, I think they will, they'll have Philip Roberg. They'll have, uh, Dylan Holloway. Like those are guys that help. That's the importance of the ELC at the end of the day is that it, it allows you to, um, spend higher in your lineup and, and to, um, to have still great players that you're only paying a million dollars to play. So I don't think the cap means that anything about dry or anything like that. It's just, you got to 
you got to really not mess up when you're when you're paying your bomb tickets. I'd rather overpay by two million dollars for Drysidel than overpay by one million dollars for Darren Helm, for example. Yeah, I mean the the Edmonton Oilers paid one point six million dollars per Zach Cassian goal this season. That's rough. He had two. Ugh. He had two goals. Yeah. So yeah. So you, can't so, make so you overpaid mistakes. him by like two and a half million dollars, basically. <laughs> right. Because you, there's a minimum. You, uh, and, and that's what screwed you. You know, you'd, you'd, you'd much rather overpay McDavid by two and a half million dollars than overpay Cassian by two and a half million dollars. Exactly. I mean, Danny DeKaiser had more goals than Zach Cassian. Danny DeKaiser had twice oh. as many goals as oh. Zach Cassian. That can't happen. No, that cannot happen. All right. And then finally, um, something came to my attention as we were sitting down here. Uh, there was a poll that ran last week. And it was kind of like a one gotta go with Red Wings podcasts. And it looked from the initial results like we were safe. We did not gotta go. Uh, we got the least votes. But uh, Rowan has tweeted that because he's in Australia, it's upside down, which means that we are canceled. Did you do you know anything about this? Uh, I mean, not. I guess it. I guess it seems definitive. I'm not really sure. All right. Well, I'm sure nothing will come of it. So. That'll do it for us today. Uh, Enjoy the playoffs, everybody. Bask in it. Drink it all in because it is going to be a a long summer uh, once hockey is gone. So enjoy it while it's here. We'll talk to you guys Wednesday. Bye.